Hey, this is Dan Seaborn, and I want to thank you for picking up this CD called I Do Cherish You. Let me tell you why we created and recorded this CD. We at Winning at Home are seeking to try to give you first-class marriage resources. Many of you have already heard about our program called Married for Life. It's an initiative we started seeking to get one million couples to sign up saying they would stay married for life. So if you haven't done that yet, simply go to our website, winningathome.com, and click on the MFRL logo, and you can find out all the details there. But our goal today is not to promote marriage resources. It's to give you one and give you some guidance on how to grow in your marriage. And this resource you picked up is called I Do Cherish You. Let me tell you why that's the title. As I begin to work and create marriage resources along with my partner here in the office in the speaking ministry, Doug Swink, who's here with me in the studio, How's by the going, way. How's it going, Dan? How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Well, as we begin to create marriage resources, we thought, what could we do to kind of give people an idea of what marriage really is supposed to be? And so, Doug, for me, whenever I think about a couple getting married and I think about their marriage, I usually travel back to the beginning stages because most of us... We finally hit a wall somewhere along our married life where we kind of go, I think I married the wrong person, or we just are not very compatible, and everybody feels it. And when I'm trying to help somebody understand how to get through that, I take them back and I say to them, when you first started dating, what did you like about each other? And I'll have them relive a date, and I'll even ask them to go out and do that date over again, and they call that really cheesy. Yeah. But it's the cheesy part of the relationship that we kind of lay aside when we get married and start taking each other for granted. So I'll ask them about their wedding day, and I'll ask them, you know, what kind of stuff they did on their wedding day. Then I'll get to this question. Did you do the marriage vows on your wedding day? Did you say that I do, you know, I will, I commit, et cetera? And they usually say yes. And I say to them, do you know where that came from? Do you know where it came from, Doug? The wedding vows? Yeah. You know, I've never thought of that. Yeah, nobody has. See, I caught you cold turkey. <laughs> we don't think about where those vows come from. And so I I did some research <laughs> because I wanted to know. And listen to this. This is pretty cool. They came over with the Puritans on the Mayflower because they had decided they had seen so much divorce in their society, and they wanted to do something to stop it. So they wrote those vows on the way over here. Wow, that's cool. Isn't it cool? That is very cool. And it puts a whole new perspective on, you know, when I do wedding vows in a wedding, I'll say, let me tell you where these came from. Let me tell you why we have these. They're not just some thing that, you know, somebody just happened to throw together on the side. These are something that people said, divorce is killing our society, and we got to do something to stop it. And the Puritan said, let's make some vows that we commit ourselves to. And the very end of the vow brings God into the picture, and the whole vow is really centered around trying to really teach people that God is the one who will hold your marriage together. So what I want to do in this I Do Cherish You, and the reason we call it that is because I'm going to go through the wedding vows, which you know are this. I, like yours was I, Doug, take you, Sean, right. to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy law, and thereto I pledge you my faith. I mean, it's not a ton of words, and that's what it is. You know what's interesting as you were talking about that stuff, it made me think back to why is it that the the intensity of the cherishing right. is proportional to how long you've been together inversely. I don't know if that makes sense. If you go backward through uh, you know, the first year of marriage, the wedding day, the engagement, your dating, it seems like when you go backwards, it gets hotter. You mm. cherish that person more. It seems like the longer you're married, 
the less it gets. So I think this is going to be a really cool opportunity for me and for others to really learn what it means to cherish my spouse. And it should be the other way around. I mean, you it would should think. be. Yeah, and it should be. If you're really following the Lord and growing in Christ, I really believe it does get better. Because I can honestly say in my marriage, I'm closer to Jane now than I was when I married her. And I believe it's partly because. Well, mostly because we've been trying to seek the Lord first and not our own will, not what we want. It's awesome to me to think about when you say that, because I think most people look at that in what you just said about for you and Jane, you cherish her more today than you did the day you got married. And I think most people look at that and are probably excited about something like this because they go, that's what I want. Yeah, that's, that's what, what I want. Yeah, and we've tried to create this now in such a way that you, your spouse, can just throw it in the in your car, you know, throw it in the CD player or around the house, just listen to it together. It's a relaxing thing to do. Uh, we're not going to be in your face and yelling at you, that kind of thing. We're just going to tell you how to grow together in your marriage. So what I'm going to do, Doug, is take these wedding vows that the Puritans wrote and brought over on the Mayflower. I'm going to take them and break them down, a little section at a time. And what I do is I tell you what that little section is a statement of, okay? So it'll make sense as we get into it. For example, the first thing you say is, I, Dan, take you, Jane, that's what I said, to be my wedded wife. That, that's what I said out of my mouth. And this is a statement of possession, okay? In other words, I take you, and you are going to become mine. I possess you, and you possess me. Let's talk about that now. I believe that most of us in our society are not treating our marriage as a I take you kind of statement. In other words, I possess you. I own you. You are mine. We are one together. And not a own as in a slave ownership. Not a own as in I can treat you however I want to. No, I own you as in we are one. Yeah. We have now linked ourselves together. I believe that most people in our society treat this relationship more like a lease. Okay? Yeah. It's like we ought to be saying, I, Dan, lease you, Jane, to be my wedded wife. And, you know, three years into this lease, if things aren't working out, then I'm probably going to want to get a newer model. Right. And, and I'm going to upgrade. upgrade. I'm going to upgrade. And right now, the surveys and statistics are showing us that the seven-year itch is still a big deal. Seventh year into your marriage is where most people are still getting divorced percentage-wise. And so if you're in right now what you're calling a seven-year lease, you need to relook at that and say, this is not a lease. This is an ownership. I took you. You took me. We're committed. Doug, the best way I can illustrate what I mean by that is this. A while back, I was driving my car uh, to meet Jane at a restaurant, and I had two of the kids with me, and she had two of the kids with her. And we arrived at the restaurant, and it was a really, really blustery, windy day. I mean, the winds were, I want to say, 40, 50 mile an hour. They were really, really strong. Wow. So when we got to the restaurant, I uh, was there first, and I parked, and I went on in with the boys. And then Jane came a little bit later with the girls. And as she walked into the restaurant and I saw her face, I could tell something was wrong. I didn't know what it was, but I could tell something was wrong. And the girls just had this kind of, you know, that little face <laughs> like, oh, shoot, I know they're going to tell me something. And it doesn't appear I'm going <laughs> to like it very much. You know, so, so apparently <laughs> they had done something they shouldn't. Jane comes walking up to me and her first words were, I'm really sorry. That's what she said. You know, and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> this and is I, not starting out right. Not right. And I said, well, what happened? She said, well, you know, I parked beside you in the parking lot. So now I know it's car related. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then she said, and when we opened the door, the wind was so strong. Oh. It just jerked it out of my hand. I can't help it. It just flew wide open. It re the doors of our cars just rammed into your car. And it's really, really, really hit it hard. 
And I said, well, whose car's damaged the most? <laughs> and she said, well, yours is. And I said, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. And my son sitting there, he said, Dad, can I just ask you a question? He said, I know that what Mom just told you would normally really bother you. And I know that your car is a lease, and our car we own. Is the reason you don't care is because that car is a lease and you don't really own it and you're going to turn it in and you don't give a rip what it looks like? Would you have had the same reaction if mom would have told you it was your car, the one that's not leased, that you own? Would you have reacted the same way? And he honestly had me dead. He had yeah. me trapped. Yeah. Because the reality was I didn't care as much because it was a lease. Wow. And I thought, yeah, well, we'll turn that in someday. Not a big deal. It's not my car. It's a leased vehicle. And I think that's what we're doing in our marriages. I, I don't think we would say that. I don't think anybody on the wedding day would say, yeah, I'm just trying it out, just a test drive. But I think in reality, many of us aren't worrying about some of the things that are happening in our marriage. We're ripping on each other. We're saying things that are harmful and hurtful. And we're thinking, well, if it gets too bad, I'll just get out of this lease. And the reality is that's what's happening all across our country. But what we need to know is this, and I, I got the survey laying on my desk right now, 50% is divorce rate for first-time marriages, okay? Yep. 63 for second-time marriages, and 75 for third marriages. So the point is this, the more you lease, the more you lease. <laughs> you get yeah. what I'm saying? It's just going to keep repeating itself. The more you lease, the more you lose is the bottom line. So my question is, Dan, as, as you look at this, how do we change that mindset in our own marriage? If I'm a listener and I hear you say that, and I know I'm feeling kind of convicted a little bit about this, that that's been my attitude. How do I change that? What are maybe one or two things that I can do to begin to, to look at my relationship as a possession versus as a lease? Doug, it makes me want to just ask back to you. When you own something, what do you do with that particular item? If it's something that you really like and you want to cherish and take care of, what do you do with it? I do everything I can to protect it, whether it's autograph I have or my car or my children. I, I do everything. I'm very protective, and I know you are too. Because we protect it, it maintains its value. Right. And I think the same thing is true in our marriage. If I take Jane to be my wife, then I'm going to want to do all I can to protect her and care for her. You know, in Ephesians 5, talks about we're supposed to love our wife and treat her in such a way that there's no blemishes on her life. There's no scars. There's no harmful things coming toward her. Wow, if I really believe that my spouse is somebody I'm supposed to take care of that way, it's going to change my whole mentality. There's no way I'm going to live like I'm leasing her. So what does that look like in concrete terms? What Maybe what are some of the things that you do, Dan, that shows that you're protecting your relationship with Jane? Well, I don't always do the things that I should do. Uh, and interestingly, yesterday I said something to Jane that immediately I had to say, babe, that, that was wrong. I shouldn't say that. That hurts. That's harmful to you. That, that hurts your feelings. And I shouldn't say those kind of things. So I think, number one, I think a big thing we can do besides just being proactive and making sure we treat our spouse with great respect is when we don't apologize. I would guess that the person listening to this CD right now needs to own the fact that they need to say I'm sorry more. Yeah. They need to be willing to say, good gracious, man, I, I don't always treat you as if I really care and value you. And I believe that that's a big start is to say I'm sorry. Then I think another thing that I know I've done with Jane is I've said to her, babe, what is it I can do that makes you feel valued and, and cared for? What is the thing that when I do it, you go, I just love that. 
and let her write those things down. I actually have them right now in my office in a little place where I'll say to her, babe, can you tell me anything else I could do to, to encourage you or to build you up or let you know I really care about you? And if I do those things for her, that's a big deal. And I believe in a relationship, especially if you want it to do what we talked about in the beginning, get closer over time. Now, if you don't want to get closer and you want to do that fade away from each other thing, just keep ignoring this stuff. Just keep treating it like a lease. You'll get there. And, and one day that lease will run out. But I believe if you do want to uh, grow in your marriage, then you're going to ask, what could I do to help you? And, you know, instead of us sitting here listening, going, here's the things you need to do, the best way to do that is say to your spouse, what could I do to make you feel that way? Doug, you know what? For your wife, Sean, really mean a lot to her. It might not mean anything to Jane. Right. So it's not like we can list things and say, here's what you got to do. No, go ask your spouse what makes them feel cared for and loved, and then do that. Both of those are such awesome just pieces of advice that we can do we can tangibly do go and do with our spouse and I, I just think of that first one of saying I'm sorry and how so many of us have so much pride in our lives that keeps us from saying I'm sorry or in scripture I love in scripture it says as far as it concerns you be at peace with all men I can't make them forgive me but I can own what I do and say I'm sorry or even if I don't have anything that they're holding against me, I still want peace with them. So I'll Mm -hmm. go and and I'll say, hey, honey, I'm sorry if I did something that offended you. I I really am sorry. And and I just want to have peace with her. And I think back to when Sean and I were first married and we made that commitment of we're never going to argue with each other. Never, never, never. And it lasted like about three weeks into the marriage. (laughs) Three hours. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I, I can still to this day remember our first fight. We went to bed that night and I laid there and I was awake and she laid there. I was thinking, I had kind of that devil angel thing going, you should forgive her. No, it's not my fault. I'm not going to forgive her. You know what? Just say I'm sorry. It's not a big deal. I She should say sorry to me. It's <laughs> not my fault. Got a horrible night of rest. I got up the next morning. I said, how'd you sleep? She said, I slept bad. How'd you sleep? I slept bad. I'm really sorry. And to this day... I can't tell you what we argued about. All I can tell you is that I got a horrible night of sleep. I just would have owned it and said, I'm sorry, honey. Whether it's my fault or not, I'm sorry. I love you. I want peace. We would have got a good night of rest, and it would have changed the complexion of that relationship at that point in time. I think that's another one of the things, though, that we have to make sure we're willing to do, and that is die to self. If you really want to be in a possession relationship versus a lease relationship, just die to self. Mm. It's not about you. And I want to make one more point in this area before we go on. This is about having your marriage be committed to each other. There's something on our wedding day that we give to each other that is just a symbol. It's just a symbol. It's not anything. There's no power in it, etc. But it's called a wedding ring. And I see a lot of people who are married who don't wear theirs. I'm going to say just for me, it bugs me. Yep. I was shooting a TV show last week with Dr. Peter Newhouse who you know, we've done a little book together here and the couple who was interviewing us, they were not married to each other, but they were both married and neither one of them had their wedding rings on. And I was like, why don't you guys wear that? You know, what is it keeps you from wearing it? I don't know. I just didn't put it on today, et cetera. And I believe sometimes people don't put it on because they just, I don't know if they're overly committed to their marriage. Yeah. And so for me, wearing my wedding ring is a pretty big statement to other people that I'm committed to my wife and I'm committed to this marriage and this is my symbol. It's right here, Doug. It's my token. And mine's old and beat up and got all kind of dings in it, but I'm still committed to my marriage. Another little thing I think you can do is remember what the wedding band represented and let it be that symbol, that token. Very true. The second thing Doug would say uh, when it's part of the wedding vows is to have and to hold from this day forward. To have and to hold from this day forward. This is a statement of companionship. 
I'm going to read Genesis 1:27. Then, Doug, I want you to be ready to read Genesis 2, 15 through 25. Because Genesis 1:27 is a very simple verse. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, God is the one who decided to create companionship. That is not a man-made thing. I kind of picture this. God's up in heaven. And he's looking down on earth, and he's created all of earth. He's created all these beautiful things, the land, the sea. He's created these fish, these animals, absolutely beautiful. And there's man, and he goes, there's just something missing here. I'd like to see him get hooked up. Yeah. I'd like to create something where they just have a passion and a heart and a desire for each other. And God created that. You know, I quite often say to couples in a setting, and I'd say to you today listening to this CD, if you ever felt that like extra heartbeat and that skip in your heart for that person right when you were about to date him or you man, finally got a date with him and it just, whoa, I just want companionship. God created that. God put that in you. That's not your deal. God made that feeling a part of your life. That's what attracted you to your spouse. I believe that Satan sees that and that's why he wants to destroy it. If he can get people to feel individual, loners, alone, no one cares about me, no one loves me, that's a terrible feeling that brings about depression and discouragement. And so God created companionship because he knew we would want to walk alongside somebody. And I love the story of, of when he did it. So Doug, that's Genesis 2. And I said, what, 15 through 25. Just kind of read through that a little bit, because it's the story of God putting a man and a woman together. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's a great story. But you know what kills me is that, do you know our world doesn't believe that story really happened? I mean, they act like, what are you? Out of date, out of touch? Don't you realize we came from an amoeba? Yeah. And I want to go, hey, look, buddy, if i got to pick one of the stories, yours or mine, yeah. I'm going with mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because this is such an awesome story of how God created companionship. And you can see why Satan hates this story, because yeah. it shows love. It shows care the amoeba deal there's no love there it's just happenstance yep this is from a heart of a god who chose companionship whoever's listening to this cd right now i want to tell you something you may be in a marriage and you go i don't know you guys are starting to make me think that maybe i could have something here maybe this could be a great relationship or maybe you're having a great relationship let me let me just tell you this there are so many single people right now who would love to have your spouse <laughs> just trust me yeah they're going to the bars they're going wherever they can go on friday and saturday night after they've worked all week to find this relationship 
They're going to the web. They're going wherever. Because what you have in companionship is what the world's looking for. Now, you may say, mine's not working out so great. That's why we're recording this CD. Because we want you to be able to see God created you for companionship, and he wants you to have a good relationship. And this is his deal. He's the one who created it. Adam and Eve's life was not perfect together. They had issues. They had issues right away with their kids. So if you're dealing with that stuff, you're normal. But you need to know God's put you in a marriage, in a relationship. He created it on purpose. And it says, to have and to hold from this day forward. In other words, when I make this commitment to take you as my companion, I'm not doing it for short term. I'm doing it from this day forward. I was just kind of reading this. It is so awesome just to see the companionship of God in this story. If you remember, at that point in time, God would walk through the garden with Adam. And God loved Adam so much that he saw his need and created for him woman to meet that need. And I look at that and I think, man, that's so awesome. And the whole idea that there are strength in numbers. One man standing alone, he's going to die. But two people together Mm -hmm. can conquer the world. And, And I think about the fact... You know, for me, when I come home after a long day of work, and and maybe you felt this, or maybe things haven't gone the way I I thought they might, if I can just be with Sean, and she can be on my side, then I don't care about anything else. And I've heard you talk about that with Jane. No doubt about it. The times when you go speak, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, but if Jane says, Dan, that was really good stuff, that's all the difference in the world. Yeah, and you know, Doug, the opposite of that is such a killer for us, too, because this week, one day, I went home from work, and I I was tired, I was kind of shot. And I've been traveling, speaking a lot. You know that. And Jane came home from work, and she had a longer day than normal. And she came out just to talk to me. As soon as she started talking to me, I just started reacting. I didn't listen, et cetera. And when I finished, she said, you know, I came out here. All I wanted, I, I have missed you so much today. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to sit and talk to you. And look what's happening. You've gotten upset. It's just spoiled the whole evening. This is just horrible. And she's just about to cry. And I'm thinking, what a geezer. <laughs> I missed a great opportunity to just talk with her. That was a dagger in the heart, it wasn't was. it? It was. And that reminds me, you know, as you're saying this, the worst scenario is when you don't have companionship. You're in a marriage, but you don't have a, yeah. a companion, a helpmate, someone to be beside you. And that's a big deal. And that's what to have and to hold from this day forward means. It's a statement of companionship. As you said that, it just it did remind me that companionship is a two-way street. And that's something that Sean and I work on together. It's not just her giving to me. I come home after a long day, like you said, and I just expect her to mm-hmm. give to me. Companionship means I own this. We're in this together. I'm working to mutually affirm and recharge her batteries in the same way she does for me. And and nobody likes to come home and just be the slave or the servant of the master when he comes in or when she comes in. It's so important for me and for us as listeners to remember, it's work. Marriage is work. work. Companionship is work. It's work, yeah. But you got to keep working at it. Yep. We're up to the third little phrase, Doug. We've seen the statement of possession, the statement of companionship, and then this statement. Uh, you, you remember making this, Doug? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Yep, I sure yeah. do. <laughs> I almost laugh when I read that because there's no way you get that statement on your wedding uh-uh. day. You know, I've, I've thought about this before, okay? On your wedding day, you should say, for better, for richer, and in health, because it's a doggone good day. Yeah, you know I mean, you and just, that's all you think you're going to have. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and you're sitting here going, okay, 
I'm making this statement on a day when my mom and dad's paying for everything. <laughs> I'm about to go to dinner, and at dinner, people are just going to give me a wazoo worth of gifts. Yep. They're probably going to hand me some cash. I'm about to go on the honeymoon and have sex. It ain't getting much better than this, yeah. you know? Could a day be better than <laughs> yeah. this? And then, and then in about two weeks, it turns to worse, poorer, and, and yeah. sickness. Because you know? yeah. you're worn out, you're tired, you realize you've spent all your money, <laughs> and you're actually in debt. Because right now, you're the one that did the study on it. The average person spends 27500 on a wedding right yeah. now. Yeah, it's between twenty dollars and $30,000. Unbelievable. Incredible. So, on one day. You're going to come back from your honeymoon and realize, I'm in debt. I think this is a statement of consistency. In other words, I'm going to love you on the better day and on the worst day, on the richer day and the poorer day, and the sick day and the healthy day. I'm going to be consistently in love with you. And that's a big deal. And I think what marriages need in our society and what kids need to see in our society is consistency. Yeah. Just seeing that, okay, we're not getting along today, but mom and I are still committed to each other. I think a lot of kids come home. I've had our daughters say this to me. Dad, you and mom aren't getting along today. You think you're going to get divorced? You know, oh, my goodness. They've thought that. Yeah. They've said that to me. And I think that's a natural thought for yeah, kids. It is a natural thought. I had it growing up many times. And I think what we need to realize is, whoa, 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 whoa. we got to show our kids, even when we're doing really great, we're consistently in love. And even when we aren't doing very good at all, we're consistently in love. We need to show consistency. And if you do it day after day after day, whether you've had a high day or a low day, you begin to build into your relationship this thing that we're going to stay together. Doug, there's a couple that I've told they are my poster children for this particular part of the wedding vows. They're a couple that I met uh, many years ago. And after they were married, he found out he was dealing with cancer and very difficult situation. And they had two little twin boys. These kids were, when I first got to know them and met them and stuff, the kids were around one or two that age. I watched them as they went through some incredible trials. I mean, the guy being so sick from treatments and having to fly here and fly there, you know, with all the things that you go through many times with Mayo and all those Mm -hmm. clinics. And I watched them just consistently love each other. Wow. And I even remember saying to them one time, guys, you didn't have any clue about this on your wedding day, did you? You didn't know this was coming, did you? I believe that that's a statement that they made to each other, and that is, I'm going to be with you no matter what comes. And, Doug, I'm thinking of another guy I know right now. He found out his wife had cancer, and he divorced her because he didn't want to deal with sickness. Wow. And and to me, people go, wow, how terribly mean. And it was. That is cruel That was mean. a lease. It is. It was a lease. But it also tells me that's what people in our society are doing. Yep. They're, they're bailing out on when it's not working out their way. And maybe you're listening today and going, man, my marriage just isn't working out the way I thought. When I stood on my wedding day and said better, richer, and health, I, I wasn't expecting the other three. Right. Well, the reality is they're going to come. We live in a world where sickness is part of it. And sometimes just not getting along and having a bad day is part of the deal. And I try to teach my children, yeah, kids, you had a bad day today. Yeah, go on. You're going to make it. That's part of life. All days can't be mountaintops. Yep. Some days have to be valleys. And in those days, how can I get more consistent? Because, Doug, you're looking across the table here at a guy who used to have really, really high highs and really low lows. And I've learned over time, partly because Jane is much more steady than me, that that steady is better. I still have some pretty high highs, but I've I've really tried to relinquish some of those low lows and go, i got to get over this. And I still have them a couple of times a year. I'm really low and going, wow, 
life's not making a difference. I'm not helping many people. But even through that, I think I view it more as Satan trying to attack me and go, how can I get more back in the middle? What can I do to be a little more consistent? And maybe in your marriage today, what you're needing to do is just be a little more consistent. Be committed and be loving on the better day or on the worst. I was looking at those lines, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and sickness and health. And to me, those are a reaffirmation of what you just talked about in companionship. When Sean is there, when I am there, when you're there with Jane, it's in those times of worse and poorer and sickness that I define who I am as a companion. For sure. That when I'm there, she realizes this is not a lease. This is... Uh, all out. I'm there for I'm you. Committed, yeah. I'm committed. This is a possession in the best sense of the word. I will go down with yeah. this ship, so to speak. I think that's what we're missing in our society. And we don't like the bad days. You know, people say, well, it's not fair. This is not fair. You're right. Life's not fair. And you may be listening to this CD today and you're in the middle of an unfair moment. That's life, man. I got them too. And it's no fun. If I read the Bible correctly, if I read this story in the history of the great saints, they had some pretty unfair days. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet they were consistent. And that's what they were remembered for. Yeah. And I think that's what I want to be remembered for is that I was a man who, who grew through that. And, Doug, you know as well as I do, it's the toughest times in your marriage is where you grew the deepest. That's right. It wasn't when we were both you know, riding on the Ferris wheel and everything was great and we had our little icy. Right. It was more when we were going through the junk and things weren't so good. For one of the times in our relationship was when our youngest daughter, we were told she had a health condition and it looked very bleak for her, and we sat together and cried. I would say that's one of the moments where we drew the closest. Yeah. And from that experience, we got tougher and we were stronger for it. I didn't want it. I didn't like it. Sometimes I'll say to people who I go to the hospital with now, Doug, and I'll see them there and they've got a child in the emergency room. They've gone through some tragedy. I'll say to them, because in many cases I've I've gotten old enough now where I actually did their wedding. And I'll say to them, do you remember on your wedding day and you said for better or for worse? I said, guys, we're in one of the worst days. I'm sorry you're here, but God will be with us. We'll make it through this. It won't be any fun. And I'm not just trying to throw out cliche Christian phrases, but it's in that moment that God drew us close. And I think there are people listening to this CD who you've been through some junk, man. And I'm praying that even through that, God's drawing you closer. Dan, I was kind of thinking through this. What are some things that we can do in this area to bring consistency to this relationship? And I thought of a couple. Okay. Having an attitude of gratitude. In our relationship, that I am thankful, yeah. number one, thankful to God. Think about Adam, what we just read about. The dude's by himself naming animals. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, God says, I see your need, I meet your need, yeah. he creates woman. And think about how excited Adam was. Think about how excited you were with Jane yeah. Yeah. and me to get back to that attitude of gratitude. God, thank you for blessing me with this awesome woman or this awesome man and then the gratitude for the things that god has blessed me with the house the health and then even in those times when things are going tough that i still keep that attitude of gratitude for the things that i do have what else did you think of i had see the silver lining in things you know it's real easy to see the dark clouds it's real easy to see the rain clouds instead of focusing on the rain clouds to focus on the silver lining. And I look at my life, and and I know how you are. I hate hanging around people Mm. that are negative. And think about if my wife, Sean, is coming home and I'm negative all the time after she's had a rough day. Who wants to be around that? So for me, I want to be the carrier of the silver lining, you know, to be the guy that's like, hey, honey, I know it's rough right now, but check this out. We were able to do this. We were able to meet our house payment. We were able to, kids are all healthy. And, and to just have that attitude of seeing the silver 
silver lining. And I think the key of not only having that attitude, but actually saying it. I know for me, I need to sometimes just tell Jane, hey, this is something I love about you, especially if I've got her in a little bit of that negative light in my mind where I'm thinking I'm seeing the negative stuff about her. Just start saying the positive. Start saying, babe, you know what I appreciate about you? You do this for me. And boy, if it wasn't for you, I'd really miss this. And say those things because when you're in that negative mindset and you get focused on the three bad things in this phrase, you can really ride that thing downhill quick. Yeah. Reality for most of us, we live in a society where we hear the worst, the poor, and the sickness a lot more than we do the best, the richness, and the blessings and the health. We don't focus on those other three. Yeah. We focus more on the negative. The old saying, what you see is what you get. What do you see in your marriage? Because that's what you're going to get. If you see the worst, the poorer, and the sickness, well, that's what you're going to get. You're going to focus on that. But if I focus on the better, the richer, and in health then my relationship's going to be vastly different. That's awesome. The question for me is, what am I seeing? Because that's what I'm going to get and what I'm going to give. The next part of the wedding vow is one of my favorite places. It says, to love and to cherish till death do us part. To me, this is a statement of commitment. In other words, look at the statements we've made so far. I, Dan, take you, Jane, is a statement of possession. To have and to hold, a statement of companionship. For better or worse, that whole part, for consistency. And then to love and to cherish till death do us part is a commitment. Doug, as I thought about what it means to really love and cherish my spouse, what I was able to do was in my relationship with Jane, I think it's easier to describe what I do when I'm not cherishing her. You know, just like we just focused on that before. I wrote down here six things that I do when I'm not cherishing Jane, and I just found myself going, that's a lot easier for me to get, because when I do these things, I'm not doing what I need to do. Now, before you do those, Dan, I know I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking as a listener, okay, I'm going to listen to this and see how many of these I do, and then think about the ones that I do past that. If I'm not cherishing Jane, number one, When I don't do that, I don't talk. I clam up. I will be quiet. She'll say, baby, something bothering you? Well, I know it is. And I'll be like, nope, I'm fine. And I know something's bugging me. It's just I'm ticked off at her about something. Instead of saying it, I'm going to punish her with a silent treat. And I just don't want to talk. And she'll say, well, anything happened at work today? Nope. She knows something she's done is bugging me, but I'm not going to tell her. I'm just going to play the quiet game. It's so stupid. And all you're doing is stoking the fire. And just looking stupid. Yep. The second thing that I'm not doing uh, when I'm not cherishing her is I don't touch. Normally when Jane and I are around in a room, whatever, we'll hold hands, I'll hug her, I'll kiss her, just reach over and touch her. But when we aren't getting along, I don't know if you and Sean are this way, I just don't touch. Yep. We can sit on the couch and it's almost like there's a little line there. Don't cross it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> lay in bed. Nah, imaginary <laughs> line. Don't mess with it. And if I'm not cherishing her if I'm not willing to break through that. It's like there's this invisible barrier between us. Stupid. Yeah. But I know there's somebody right now listening to the CD. They got that going on with their spouse. Yep. I know the other side of that. When Sean reaches out and touches me, my hand is limp. I am not reciprocating right. the love. Right. She'll reach over and hold your hand, and you just kind of go, hmm, fine, do yep. it. Just I'm not responding. There. I don't know if you do this, but we had a hallway, you know, in our home, and it was kind of like it was narrow a little bit. And when we weren't getting along, we'd pass in that hallway, kind of turn our shoulders. <laughs> I'm not going to bump you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's stupid. Totally. Isn't it funny when you think of these things? When you say them right now, when everything's going good, you're like, that's just the dumbest it thing is. in the world. But in the moment, nah, exactly. I'm making a statement. That's yeah, right. you sure are. Number three, 
I don't think. And what I mean by that is I say things without thinking. I don't realize, wow, I'm about to say something here that's really going to hurt her feeling. You know, she says, well, come on, babe, tell me what it is. No, you don't want to know. Oh, come on, Dan, share with me. What, why are you so quiet? No, no you don't want to hear it. And then what I do? Well, because you're... <laughs> I didn't even say something stupid. Yeah. Something that's going to kill her. And later on, you're going to be like, I'm sorry I said all that junk. It was so bad and so dumb of me. So I don't think what I'm doing. For us in our marriage, this is a big one. When I'm not cherishing Jane, I don't laugh. She would say one of the things that really makes our relationship fun is you laugh. You have fun. You cut up. So maybe that's not your marriage. Maybe you you know don't have that. But what is the thing that was the attracting thing for your spouse? Are you still doing that? Yeah. And when we aren't getting along, when I'm not cherishing Jane and I'm not committed to her, I just I quit laughing with her. I quit having fun with her. That's like sucking the air out of the fire. It is. It's just taking it out. Then the next thing I don't do is I don't listen. I hear her talking, but I'm not really listening. She's saying stuff and trying to get through to me. Well, honey, if there's something I've done, you know, just tell me. I want to. I hear you talking. Yep. But I'm I not see your lips moving, but all I hear is blah blah blah. <laughs> it's true. Yep, it, it and is. I really think everybody listening to this knows what we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. I do. And then the sixth thing is I don't look. I don't look for things that I could do to encourage her, to pick her up. To lift her day because on a typical day for me around our house i'm looking for little things i can do for jane whether it's picking up this or going doing that i just look for those things because i know she likes that yeah but when i'm not cherishing her i intentionally go nope not gonna do that today because you know, i'm kind of making a statement that i'm not on your team even on a more personal level dan as you say that it makes me think about in my own marriage i don't look her in the eye when I'm angry, it's like that old joke, I don't even want to look at you. Yeah. That is really how it feels. Like, I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to touch you. I don't want any of that. I'm just uh-huh. not going to look at you. If uh-huh. I don't look at you, you're not there. Right. You know? <laughs> it's how stupid it is, is that? Stupid. I, I remember when Jane and I were coming home from a time away, we had been through a couple of these little kind of moments, maybe like twice in our week away, where we'd gone through this the don't talk, touch, think, laugh, listen, look kind of thing. Yeah. As we were driving down, we were both being quiet. And she was reading a book, which is pretty normal if we're riding somewhere. I'll listen to the radio. She'll read a book or whatever. And she said, out of the blue, she makes this statement. Jane said, dead quiet, opens her <laughs> voice and says, you know what let's do? Let's forgive each other for everything we've ever done or held against each other. And I was like, what are you reading? I mean, yeah. it's like, where did that come <laughs> yeah. from? But then as I thought about it more, man, that's awesome. That is Can incredible. I really just forgive you for all that junk? You forgive me. So you're basically saying we get a chance to start over. Yeah, why wouldn't I want to jump in on that? I'm committed to you. Let's do it. And I think today there would be a lot of people, it would be their advantage to say, let's just forgive each other for some of this stuff. This is crazy. We're never going to really keep talking it through. We're never going to get anywhere. Let's just forgive each other. That might be a good way to start. Yeah. Doug, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10, and we'll go through verses 6 through 9, because the next part of the wedding vow is this, according to God's holy law. So we've said, to love and to cherish till death do us part. That's a statement of commitment. And then we say, according to God's holy law. I find it very interesting that the Puritans put this in there. They were saying, look, this is not going to be this some man-made relationship thing. This is according to God's law. And this, to me, is a statement of authority. This vow, this commitment that I made comes from something higher and greater than me. And probably of all the phrases that we're saying here, I want you to get this one real clear. We are saying, God Almighty, you are creating marriage. You are the one that's putting us together today. This is our wedding day. We're making a vow to each other. Your law says, if we do this, 
Don't break it apart. Read it, Doug. From Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, this is a statement of authority. But at the beginning of creation, God, quote, made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, unquote. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. That's it. God put it together, man not separate. We ought to at least take a moment and note what it says. From the beginning, God made them male and female. Doug, he didn't make them male and male. He didn't make them female and female. He didn't make it male, female, and another female. He didn't make it two males and a female. God created marriage to be a male and a female. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. Pretty simple, and that's the best plan. And in that plan, uh, God's law says when the two finally decide to come together and get married— let no man try to separate that. Wow, we live in a world of men and women who are trying to separate it. Coming yeah. up with any stinking reason we can come up with to separate it. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're going, I don't know. You know, I'm looking around on my buddies and this guy at work and that girl. Ah, every... Listen, don't look at what people are doing. Look at what God's law teaches. And that is that your marriage is to be there for life. And after we make the statement that it's God's law that creates and makes marriage, then we finally closed out the wedding vows by saying, and thereto I pledge you my faith. You remember that, Doug? I do. Good job. Yep. And isn't it interesting? We didn't say, and thereto I pledge you my feelings, because yep. feelings come and go. See, faith is consistent. That's why when people come out of office and they say, I don't feel like I love my spouse anymore. And I say, well, what do you faith like you do? Forget your feelings a second. What does your faith tell you? Because yeah. there are days I don't feel like Jesus loves me either. Right. I really don't. There are days I pick up my Bible and I read Scripture and I don't get chills. I don't get bumps on my skin. It's just kind of like, whoa, oh, oh, hum, another day. Does that mean God doesn't love me? Shoot, no. Right. That means my faith in him is still as strong as it was even when I had the feeling. It's amazing, Dan, because feelings can be so misleading. And how I describe it is think about when you're sick. And you're laying in bed and you have a fever and you're burning up. You got 104 temperature and you're laying in bed burning up. What do you feel like? You're asking for more blankets. You go, yeah. pull them on, put yeah. them on because I'm freezing. Yeah. And you're not freezing. Nah. Your body's overheating, like but you feel like you're cold. And so many times our feelings in our relationships are so misleading and our feelings are what separate us. My marriage and your marriage it can't be based on feelings because I feel angry, I yeah. feel sad, I feel this, I feel that. And if we lived our lives yeah. based on yeah. my feeling of happy, well, we're going to be hurting. Would you say you've fallen out of love, the feeling of love with Sean? Yeah, I would say there are times. I, 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 I remember, I wrote it down. Three years in our marriage, seven years in our marriage, 11 years in our marriage, and 17 years in our marriage. I can tell you, I didn't love her. Yeah. If somebody had come to me and said, do you feel love for your wife? If I could have been real honest, I would have been like, no, I don't. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure I'm in the wrong marriage. I would have said that. Yeah. And so I want people to know that's a normal thing. You're not going to go, oh, there may be a few exceptions. Married people just, oh, I just have never felt it greater than this. Well, bless you. Right. But for the rest of us, it's pretty normal to go through that, like I do with Christ. That's why it's so fun to tell you today, you've made that commitment before the Lord. It was a commitment to Him. And what I've discovered is, if you press through, if you persevere through those feelings, 
when it does come back, they're stronger than ever, more committed than ever, more in love than ever. That's why I wanted to talk to you about I Do Cherish You, because we believe when you said these wedding vows, if you really took them serious, if you really see that they're an oath, kind of, then you're going to be like, wow, I made a pretty big statement. And it's not about what I feel. It's about my faith in Christ and my faith in my spouse. And this last statement, and there to I pledge you my faith, is a statement of decision. And I want to tell you, I'm calling you to another decision right now. As you listen to this, you must understand you have to make a decision. Am I going to cherish and make my marriage all it should be? Or am I going to decide I'm going to bail? Don't say Jesus is going to bail. Don't say God's bailing on you. You're going to bail. And I'm saying, no way, man. Let's keep our marriage strong. Let's stay married for life like we talked about at the very beginning. And let's keep ourselves growing in Christ. Doug, any final comments you'd want to throw in there? Dan, I was just thinking about that whole thought of according to God's holy law, the fact that so many times we invoke God's name on that first day, we yeah. bring God into it. Usually it's at a church. We have a 52%, pastor. 52% get married in churches. And we look at it, it's like, we want God to be part of this. But after that day, how many of us are striving yeah. to keep God to be part of our marriage, that we're invoking his name, that we are together praying on our knees with our wife, with our husband, praying with them, praying yeah for them and I know you're huge on that of saying I pray with Jane and I look at I pray with Sean one of my favorite things I love when she calls me up and says hey can I pray for you I I know you've got a big day today and the fact that we work hard not you and me necessarily but together in our marriages we work hard to keep God the focal point just like that day when we said I do yeah that's good that's what we're doing man and that's what we're trying to do with this whole CD we trust it's a blessing to you that it's picked your spirits up it's made you want to go and fire some new rockets on behalf of your marriage and do some things that really will take you to the next level. That's what we want you to do. Let us also tell you, if you haven't heard about it, another resource we have called The Necessary Nine, a book that gives you nine things every marriage needs. And Doug, what you said about praying together is the main focal point of that book, drawing people to understand you need to grow in Christ. And let me also say it has a DVD with it if you need it for small group curriculum or those type things. It's available. Simply call our office at 1-888-WA-TEAM. WA, of course, standing for Winning at Home or go to our website, winningathome.com. We hope you've enjoyed. I do cherish you. Thank you for taking time to listen to this resource and we pray that this and other resources we have will continue to help you win at home.